Good morning. I will be reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 7-11. through 11. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the, in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother loves in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He, is not, he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Who makes your picture of the fellowship come to life? My guess is there's somebody probably in this church right now that makes the fellowship a reality in your life. They love you not because you have something to give them. They love you because God has asked them to love you. And they know that, that God wants to do great things with you. I can remember when I very first time I got here, and, and y'all may not remember 12 years ago, but I, I had never preached on a week-in, week-out basis. And there was a, a woman who's no longer with us, Juana Cox, who just wasn't going to give up on me. And she kept encouraging me, and she kept lifting me up in prayer, as many of you did. And in that way, she was a personal manifestation of the fellowship that the church is called to be, and the church wants to, to show to each other so they become a witness in the world around us. I want to go back to my childhood, if you don't mind. Um, how many of you know what this is? This is a strange little thing. It's a snuff can. I'm sure that's what it is. At least that's the way it looks in your pocket. And people wonder, what in the world is the preacher doing with a snuff can in his pocket? But this preacher doesn't happen to carry a snuff can. He carries a pitch pipe around a fair bit. It's a pitch pipe. So you find the key of the song and you blow the note. And you may hear a song leader do something like that. We have them on our phones now, and we touch them. There was a man in the church that I grew up in. His name was Osland White. He uh, was an enthusiastic person, but what he was most enthusiastic about was worship and leading singing and participating in the worship and song. He loved that. He was music did, musically talented anywhere that he went and anything that he did. He was one of those people that sat at a local kind of upscale restaurant and they had an organ and he would play the organ. So music was in his bones. But what he wanted to do was teach all of us young men how to lead singing. And so he would schedule individual time with us. Can your parents bring you? I have a feeling he prearranged this with our parents. You know, it wasn't just that can your parents. Uh, he knew the answer to what our parents is, were going to say. And the first thing he'd do is he would say, we're going to learn how to sing. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is we're gonna, I'm going to give you this and you're going to learn how to use it. I can promise you that not only myself, but many other young men learned to lead singing and learned, even if they didn't choose to be song leaders, they learned to sing with the church because of what Oslin White did. And what I know is that Oslin had a wonderful ear. He could pick out the tune, he could pick out the pitch anywhere, anytime. He didn't need a pitch pipe very often. And what I know is that us boys, when we were first learning to do it, had a really hard time picking up all those tunes and all those pitches and all those things. I don't ever remember him cringing, but I do remember him saying, well, that's close. 
You're almost there. And what he did was sacrificed of himself, sacrificed his time, sacrificed and gave of his talents and his gifts to pour into us. And yes, I'm, I feel like I can lead a song every once in a while. So I think at some level his seeds got planted in me and maybe they're producing fruit. But, you know, the real seed that took place in me is that Oslin thought I was worth investing time with me. He wanted to be with me. And he was for me because he wanted to get me to a place where I could become something of the leader that he felt like he was. He was replicating himself in leadership in a lot of different ways. My dad would organize a class every other year and invite the, quote, the young men, which meant when I got to be in kindergarten, I was a young man. Until I was graduating from high school, I was a young man. And uh, he, he did a, a worship training kind of course. But it wasn't that individual attention, not that my dad didn't give me individual attention. Oslin invested in us individually, not as a class, not as a group. But he said, I want to invest in you. And in that, the reality of the fellowship came to my life and my heart. The love of God, the yes of God came into my life in a very unique and special way. Last week, we talked about the fact that the fellowship is called to be a place for yes. Now, yes is Christ, but as the body of Christ, we become his yes in each other's lives and in the world around us. This week, I want to proclaim to you that the fellowship is called to be a place for love. A place where love is manifested, a place where love is given... And a place where a special love exists inside this fellowship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 uh, has a unique way of saying it. Paul is instructing the Thessalonians, again thought to be the earliest letter that we have of Paul's. And he will say several things about loving one another. But I like this one and I wanted to pick this idea out particularly. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow. And somebody says, Amen. And you say, well, wait a minute, I, th I, think, I think my love is pretty big already. And Paul says, I hope your love will increase and grow. And maybe the answer to the question is, is if we think we've kind of reached the end of all love needs to be, then we need to be reminded by Paul and therefore by the Holy Spirit that our love needs to grow and increase. But see, it's, it's particular. Paul says, your love needs to grow and increase for each other. Other translations will say, for one another, for the brothers and sisters that are part of the church here in Thessalonica. And that may have been several house churches, or it may have only been one. But bottom line, he says, there is something about the love that those who know Christ should share with each other that is different from, because the next line, you see, I hope your love will increase and grow for each other, and for everyone else. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that somehow or another when Christ says love your neighbor, all he meant was loving the church because that's not the case. But I do want to proclaim to you that both Paul and John, John will quote Jesus in his prayer in John chapter 13, 
Love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know that you are my disciples. Now, make no mistakes. Jesus' love is extended to everyone. And we, if we follow God, give love and kindness to, the, to everyone. God, God is quoted as, He sends His rain upon the good and the evil. It doesn't matter. He loves everyone. And we are called to love everyone. But... When we talk about the unique nature of what the fellowship that Christ calls us to be is, then we have to find our way into a realization that the love that exists, not just between the people that come inside these walls, but with everyone who calls themselves a part, first of all, of the Lake Jackson Church of Christ, needs to be on a special list in our minds and our hearts. And we need to be able to go a little further and pray a little harder and do a little more with those people. I would say that that love for one another then should extend to everyone who believes in Christ and calls on Him as our resurrected Lord and Savior. Amen? This is not to say that we don't love outside of that circle but there needs to be a special nature to the love that is inside of that circle. And we cannot, absolutely cannot depend on the way the world defines love. The world talks about love all the time. The world wants to be sure that, that they put out a show on a regular basis that's about love. My wife likes one kind of show called the Hallmark Channel. And that's always talking about love. And it's always very sweet. It will always build up to, although we did note an exception. There was a kiss in the middle of the, of the Hallmark Channel. And I'm like, what in the world is that doing there? And, uh, and it's because it's all supposed to build up to the end in one very romantic kiss. But we can't depend on the world's definitions. Because the majority of the media that's out there doesn't portray love the way the Hallmark Channel does. Instead, the majority of it displays it as something very selfish, very self-centered, and very much about what can happen for me. I want something, and I'm going to take something. So if we look at the world's definition, the world's love is about self. It's about selfness. It's about how I can be put things with me in the center of it. What am I going to get? What am I going to receive from this relationship? And it may well be that it's kind of portrayed in this, oh, we share this together, but so often it comes back to, it's good for me, and if it's not good for you, then that's your problem. If it's good for both of us, wonderful, but it better be good for me. Secondly, the world defines love in, in that it is centered on feelings. Yes, I had already, I've already had critics about this. Feelingness is not a word, unless you're a preacher, and therefore we make it a word. Feelingness, it's going to get worse before it gets better, so just be prepared. It is about an emotion. If I have an emotional reaction to a new car that I buy, I can say, I love it. If I have an emotional reaction to a new flavor of Bluebell, I will say, I love it. Of course, really what I have is emotional reaction to pralines and cream, which is the greatest Bluebell flavor that has ever been created. If you want to argue with that, you can, but you're wrong, so that's beside the point. But it's about the feeling that it gives us. And make no mistakes, 
a lot of those feelings are about the way we physically react to visual stimulus and physical stimulus. Finally, the world's love is centered in the thrill, thrillness. I was a youth minister for many years, and one of the things that you're going to have to do as a youth minister is you're going to need to talk about sex and sexuality. And you're going to need to talk very plainly, because oftentimes they expect you to kind of couch it in, in sort of holy terms, and you have to get real with them. And sometimes I, I, I had a youth group that liked to groan, because they knew when I was going to talk about sexuality, it was going to be personal, and it was going to be direct. And so they kind of anticipated that by going, oh. And one of the things that I told them was, is that God designed you in a certain way that certain things happen and it produces chemicals inside your body, particularly endorphins. And that those endorphins push your heart rate a little bit harder or make your blood flow a little bit better and all these kinds of things. And God designed all that. But don't call that love. Don't get on a date and say, oh, I can feel the chemicals flowing in my body and wonderful things are going on. And when we kiss, the chemicals really flow. And I, I just love that. And therefore, we must be in, we must be in. And I said, what you are in is some form of lust. And by the way, God created those kinds of things to tie a husband and wife together in a unique way such that it doesn't want to be separated for their whole life. God made it that way, but he reserved it for that relationship. Isn't God wonderful? But when we mistake those chemical thrills for love, then we're buying into what the world divine defines love to be. God desires the love of the fellowship to be like the love that Christ showed us. That we are to love one another as Christ loved us. And Christ's love is a physical manifestation. When he was here on the earth, when his body was here with us, he was a physical manifestation of the love that God had shown throughout all time. A love that began with the creation event and a love that is going to continue for all eternity in his new creation. And so, when we want to define love, we don't turn to the world and say, what is love? Particularly when we want to talk about the love that we must share in this one another, in this fellowship. Instead, we turn to Jesus. Because that's where Peter turned, and that's where Paul turned, and that's where... John turned, where Luke and Matthew and Mark all turned. If you want to read about love, please don't Google it. Go to the Bible and find it. Because it is the love that Christ manifested in his relationships and interactions with people that reflected the love of God for all of us. So how does God define love? First of all, God's love is withness. Do you remember that creation story? Wonderful creation story. God spoke it all into existence. Or if you go to chapter 2, God takes things and forms it and gets his hands dirty and makes special things in that way. Bottom line is God created it and made it. 
And then God had wanted to be right there in the middle of it with them. The tragic story of the fall is, is particularly tragic because of the way it's portrayed. Because God comes to the garden. Not for the first time, it's not the way it's portrayed in the text. But God comes to the garden the way he always came to the garden. And they heard his voice and they knew he was there. And they said, we've got to hide. But the reality is God wanted to be with them. And when we talk about the witness of God, we have to say, and look what he did. He poured himself into flesh. Don't ask me how. There's no creation element that is more fantastic and more wonderful than the creation of God who becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. So that he could be with us. Emmanuel is the word that Isaiah would use and that Luke would remind us of. Here is the Emmanuel, God with us. But more than that, God desires to be with us for eternity. And one of the key elements that he talks about the new creation being, not just there'll be no tears and no crying, no more sorrow there. That's not the biggest thing about the new creation. The biggest thing about the new creation is that God will be with us. All the time. We won't need the Son because the S-O-N Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit will be the light. And we will be constantly in His presence and He will constantly be with us. And there should be nothing that thrills you more than that. I've watched some families during this COVID thing. It's been really interesting. The way some of the families have just, it's just the process of being at home together has just opened up new elements of love and care and laughter together and all those kinds of things. And to a certain extent, there's, a, there's a, an ache when we have to go back to being separated more or even maybe most of the day. We just got to spend a week with Drew and Catherine and Landry Joe and Marshall Phillip. Ooh. You want to talk about something hard? The hard part wasn't being with them. The hard part is now that we've left, it's realizing uh, we don't get to have those smiles and those hugs, those interactions. We still have each other, and we're thankful for that. But we don't have, we're not with them. God wants to be with us. His love is about his being with us. And therefore, if we're to be the fellowship, it should be about the desire to be with each other. And while that's a physical reality for those of you who are here, if you're with us on YouTube and the fact that you're watching live, the fact that in a minute we're going to take the Lord's Supper together and you're going to choose to set aside that time and do it with us. And you're going to participate in conversations on Facebook and you're going you're to send text messages and emails and maybe even cards and letters to people. You are exhibiting the witness of God's love to one another. Secondly, God's love has always been about being for us. We uh, sing the fun children's song, God's Not Dead. Oh, good. That was almost, almost it. God's not dead. He is alive. And then I've, I, I just kind of, you'd adapt things when you like singing. And so God's for us and God's with us. And the answer is yes. You say, God's for me. 
And I just want to point out real quickly that God didn't have to develop a relationship with Abraham, but God chose to develop a relationship with Abraham because he was for us. He wanted to be involved in our lives and wanted to show us how a person who trusts God can be blessed. And God was for Abraham, and in that same way, he is for us. When God sent down the ten words, the ten instructions, you may call them the ten commandments from Mount Sinai, this wasn't intended to be some sort of oppressive sort of let me keep my thumb on you. He said, I'm for you. I created you. I want you to know how to live that is in congruence with, which is completely in line with and sympathetic with the way I created you. And not only will it put you in right relationship with me, but it will put you, if you follow them, in right relationship with each other. He did that because he was for us. He sent the prophets because he wasn't going to let Israel just drift off into sinfulness and oblivion. He didn't want his people to do that, so he sent prophets and warned them. Made them do crazy things like take pots and make them and break them. To marry a prostitute. And when she runs away, to go and buy her back so that she can be back in relationship with him. Because he wanted to tell them over and over and over, I am for you. I want what's best for you. And if we are to be the fellowship, I'm going to go back to my illustration of Oslin White. Who said, I'm for you. You may never learn to sing on tune, but I am for you. And the wonderful Juana Cox, who, although I wasn't necessarily perfect in every way, she consistently said, I'm for you. I want you to succeed. I want you to be blessed. I want good things to come to you. God's love is forness. Finally, and this one's the weirdest one of all, we saved it for last. God's love has always been about being unto better things. Unto-ness. That is to say that God's love in Christ wasn't an end that was intended to serve Him. It was an end that was intended to serve us. Unto others. That God's effort to build the church through Christ and lay a foundation on the teaching of the apostles and on the fellowship of those early churches, which we participate even in today, was so that we could be transformed unto the kingdom. So that Christ could say, I'm right there right now in 2020. In the midst of that pandemic, I'm still there because there's a church that I have loved unto the kingdom of God. God loves us so that we can move into and unto more and more Christ-likeness. So that we can be more and more what God would created us to be. Unto wholeness. That is to say, the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in our lives breaks no one's heart more than it does God. Because he knows all the good that can be. And he loves us, not, not because we've fixed the brokenness, but he loves us to be 
the fix for our brokenness. It's a church word, and it doesn't always communicate what maybe we want it to or what God wants it to, but He loves us unto holiness. I just want you to think for a minute of what life in the new creation is going to be like. Paul always called the, the churches the saints. Very common word. That means holy ones. And while you and I, and I loved the song that you quoted, that, that I, don't, I don't see it, but God believes it. And if God believes it in me, then guess what? I'm going to hold on to what God believes rather than what I believe. I'm going to hold on to what God says rather than what my heart brings to it. And what I know is that in the new creation, we will be like him. Holy like him. So ultimately, it's about loving one another in the same way that Christ loves us. Loved us and loves us today. Saying it another way, the fellowship is loving one another. If it's going to be like Christ, it's going to be till it hurts. And maybe even, even though it hurts. Very quickly, some implications for loving one another. Being God's love. First of all, if you're going to be involved in, in churches at all, you're going to recognize that there is going to be difficult people. I'm one of those difficult people. I'm fairly certain of it. And yet you choose to figure out ways to love me. And the thing is that I want us to all see when we are loving the fellowship that those difficult relationships are always going to be opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness. To be a little more Christ-like because we choose to love even the people in our lives that create difficult relationships. Make no mistakes, for Christ to love me is a difficult relationship for him. He does it freely. He went to the cross. It hurt that much to love a sinner like me. And he did it freely. And I think we need to see our opportunity to love and to work in difficult relationships as an opportunity for Christ-likeness. Secondly, it's being careful in the fellowship particularly, being careful of our responses to the ideas and efforts of others. You may have a picture of how you want something to go and you ask somebody else to do it and, and they do it differently than you would and you need to be very careful about how you respond to it. You need to be kind about that. It may not be that you necessarily have to say, oh, that's exactly right because it's not exactly what you wanted. But you better figure out a way to say, I see the creativity that God placed in you in this that you've done. And maybe we can just kind of shape it a little bit in this way. Because very few things will tell people that you are not for them in this congregation than saying, oh goodness, what is this? When you see someone's effort engaged in something, we need to be very careful about the way that we react to it. Because I believe that everyone in this fellowship, when they're asked to do something, particularly for the fellowship, they are doing it with the gifts that the Spirit has given to them, 
And to a certain extent, if I'm going to criticize them, I'm criticizing the God who gave them the gift. Finally, I'm now going to step on your toes. Never letting non-kingdom things be a source of unkindness or separation. You know what? I know that there are people in this church that are going to vote differently than me. But I'm not going to let that create an unkind word or a separation between us. I know that there are people who see topics of doctrine and theology different than, and, than I do, but I'm never going to let that be something that causes me to be unkind or to create some sort of separation between us, by the way, unless they want to say something like Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh and he didn't die and he wasn't resurrected. We'll have a problem then. But when we let the politics when we let elections, when we let our conversations on Facebook become things that we express unkind ideas, particularly inside this circle, then we are not acting in a Christ-like way. And God calls us to that hard work. Again, the fellowship that Christ calls us to is hard. Like so many things, it is antithetical to the lies that Satan tells us. And it is counter to our fallen human nature. But it is what God had created us all for. And it is central to why he sent Jesus. The invitation today is from Familiar words from Philippians chapter 2, but maybe this part is before the part that you know. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. In reality, do the Spirit a favor. Do Christ a favor. Do God a favor. Agree with love each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself your needs aside and help someone else get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand to one another. It may be that somebody on YouTube, it may be somebody here, has been looking for a place for love. And you've looked for it, as the country song says, in all the wrong places. There's one place where you'll discover what love is. And while the fellowship of the church should be a representation of that, Christ is the ultimate source of that.
Christ as a manifestation of God's love. If you haven't found Christ, then my guess is you haven't really found love. We're going to sing a song. If you say, I need to find Christ's love in a deeper way in my life, we would be glad to talk with you about that. If you want to join us by, by sending a text and letting us know how we can pray for you or just to start a conversation that we want to continue, the number is there on the screen. Have you found Christ? Have you found love? Let's stand and sing. Angry words are left.